You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron is here. It's a Monday. The show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. J.P. Finley will join us uh, in a bit, and we'll get the latest from him on Trent Williams. He had a conversation with Bruce Allen on Friday, so we will follow up on that. Uh, the NHL Stanley Cup Finals will have a seventh and deciding game on Wednesday night. I'm going to watch that, Aaron. I did not watch much of last night's game, um, but I will watch a seventh and deciding game of any sport. Uh, and hockey game sevens are always uh, exciting. Um, it's too bad what happened to Big Poppy. I, I guess the, the latest news is he's going to survive and he's going to be okay. Yes. Um, but still, what awful, uh, what an awful thing that happened to him, ambushed really, um, by a gunman in, uh, in the Dominican Republic and shot, uh, hospitalized, but he's going to survive. The video of that was initially, when I watched it very early this morning, I couldn't figure out which one was was Ortiz and which one was the gunman, but then, you know, a few times slowing it down, you saw it, and it was uh, it was pretty stunning. But anyway, uh, hopefully it turns out well for him. Um, the latest, by the way, on Trent Williams from my seat um, as we sit here on Monday morning, June 10th, uh, is the same as it was really on Thursday and even prior to my conversation with Cooley on Friday. Cooley was really good on Friday, had a lot of forget the Trent Williams stuff, had a lot of thoughts on Haskins so far and Keenum so far and Sweat so far and Jimmy Moreland so far. Cooley basically said Jimmy Moreland is on the team. He's making the team as a seventh rounder and has a chance to be the starting nickel. Um, but this is my um, my position on Thursday hasn't changed much on Trent Williams based on the information that I have. And that is that this is more about a new deal than it is the medical situation which was reported. Um, And as of now, the Redskins don't have much desire at all to give him a new deal. So there is an impasse of sorts. Doesn't mean that the Redskins won't change their mind. Doesn't mean that Trent Williams won't change his mind and report to training camp, you know, at the end of July and say, hey, all is well. But I don't expect Bruce Allen to change his mind. Someone else, namely the owner in the organization, would have to decide to trump his team president and give Williams a new deal if Williams is going to get a new deal. Bruce Allen to JB, J.P. Finley on Friday, and again, we're going to have J.P. on here shortly, said, quote, I know what Trent told me, so I know what the truth is. I'll leave my conversation with Trent between the two of us. Trent has been a valuable player for us, and that's why we signed him to the contract he has. I've talked to Trent a few times. He, he's explained some things to me, and I'll leave it at that, closed quote. So we did hear from Bruce Allen. Um, not a scheduled PR thing, but JP um, hustled and found out where he was and talked to him, and we'll ask, how, ask JP how that came about on Friday. But, you know, Bruce Allen isn't you know, and I've been told this, is not eager to give Trent Williams a new deal with two years left on it. And I think that one part of the quote where he says, quote, Trent has been a valuable player player for us, and that's why we signed him to the contract he has, I think that says a lot. I think it says a lot. I don't know what the tone was, and we'll get that from JP, um, but this would be in line with what I've heard. He's not interested in talking new deal with Trent Williams. And I would guess that Trent Williams isn't that pleased that the team doesn't want to talk to him about a new deal. And perhaps the medical frustration, which was reported by Jason Lockenfora last week, is a legitimate frustration. I'm not suggesting that it isn't. But it also could be a convenient add-on to the bigger frustration which is wanting more money. And, you know, from Trent's standpoint, the more you throw in there that makes the team look bad, perhaps you either get your deal or get somewhere else where someone is willing to give you a new deal. My personal opinion on this hasn't changed either. I would not give him a blockbuster extension. If it's a modest extension, maybe, but I'm not giving him a huge new deal. If I really believe that he won't report to camp and and this is all about you know um 
you know, a, a new deal that he feels like he deserves. I'm trying to trade him. I'm trying to trade him right now. I'm actively trying to trade him. You know, if this is more than him just letting out or letting off some steam, you know, because of the new deals that were signed in the offseason, um, I, you know, that that's one thing. If 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 I believe if if I believe it's it's about letting off steam, then I'm gonna sit back and I'm gonna be patient. I'm gonna be patient anyway if I'm the team. But I'm actively putting out there that Trent Williams is on the trade block. I'm gonna find out what he's worth now. And I'm also going to obviously simultaneously worry about replacing him, which is not easy. Who replaces him? It's a good question. We talked about Donald Penn being available. But between now and mid-training camp, someone with experience playing left tackle will become available. It's not going to be Trent Williams. What could you get for Trent Williams? I'm not sure. I can't imagine, though. I cannot imagine it would be less than a second-round pick. Cooley said initially on Friday a third-rounder. I think I talked him off that. I can't imagine it would be less than a second. Teams that might be interested... Um, well, first of all, anybody needing a seven-time Pro Bowl tackle would be interested in a 31-year-old before this next season starts. Cleveland could use a left tackle. They believe they're a bit of a contender. They have cap space. The Bears could use a left tackle. There are other teams out there that don't have as much cap space but would love Trent Williams. Um, you know, there are teams out there that drafted offensive linemen that aren't sure about their rookie offensive linemen. And some of those guys like Dillard and Howard, Titus Howard and Jonas Williams, they might be right tackles to start their careers. So maybe Trent Williams would still be a possibility for those teams. One more thing on this, and I I don't know that I've said this so far. The Redskins weren't prepared for this. If they had been, they may have addressed free agency differently. They may have addressed the draft a bit differently, looking for Trent Williams' replacement. Eric Flowers was not an answer for the off chance that Trent Williams may have wanted a new deal this offseason. Eric Flowers, more likely than not, isn't an answer to anything right now. He's not a tackle. He's not a guard. He may not even be depth on this team. He's not the answer. That wasn't them preparing for the possibility that Trent Williams would want more money and might want out. I'm not saying, by the way, that they should have been prepared for this. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not being critical of them right now. I'm just saying that I don't think that they were pre- they uh, had prepared for this or were prepared for this. I have no idea what they knew before the draft or before free agency started with respect to Trent Williams, if they knew that Trent Williams was going to ask for more money, then they were unprepared, and perhaps that is on them. But, you know, he does have two years left on his deal. So perhaps they were justifiably, you know, looking elsewhere and not considering this as a possibility. They weren't worried about the Trent Williams contract being an issue I think that's justifiable. If they said they were caught off guard, I don't think that that's unreasonable that they were caught off guard. Now, the Trent Brown deal in Oakland was signed on March 11th. You know, that could have been something that Bruce and Jay and Doug and Eric Schaefer said, ooh, that's a big deal. Trent Williams might want more money. Where is he now on the list of of offensive lineman contracts? Oh, he's seventh now? He may want more money. We should probably prepare for that. But I don't think you can put this on the Redskins. Two years left on a deal. Next year, if he came in and wanted a contract extension with one year left on it, you could put this on them that they didn't have any vision whatsoever. I'm not going to blame them unless they knew that this was coming and they still decided not to address it in the offseason. I did say, Aaron, before the draft that at 15, an offensive lineman should be a possibility, that they should be thinking about Trent Williams' eventual replacement at this point with two years left on his deal and a guy that's been injury-prone. But I don't know if an offensive lineman was on their board at 15 or you know, maybe even at 26. I don't know how intent they were. I know they were intent on drafting a guard. We know that. Interior offensive lineman, but... 
you, you know, a tackle, even with the loss of Inseki and the lack of depth, um, was not necessarily a priority for them. Uh, anyway, J.P. Finley with a lot more coming up on this. But m- netting it out, my position is the same. You know, if I'm, uh, if I believe he is serious about a new deal and about potentially holding out, I'm trying to trade him. I'm trying to trade Trent Williams. I'm not giving him a monster extension. If it's something more modest, you know, I would certainly consider it given the bind that the team is in. All right, the NBA Finals could end tonight. Um, and after what, what we watched on Friday night, and I haven't had a show since Friday night's Game 4, but after watching Game 4, you can't possibly, you couldn't be possibly surprised if Toronto closes out Golden State tonight, could you? After watching Friday night? No, I mean, how, how could you be? Yeah, I mean, they were the better team on Friday night. They were the better team in Game 3. They were the better team in Game 1. And, you know, Game 2, you know, got away from them a little bit. But um, there's no way anybody at this point, having watched these four games, would be surprised if Toronto ends it tonight. Now, Durant's status is questionable. He returned to practice yesterday. The question throughout this postseason has been, can the Warriors win the title without Durant? Well, they won one title without Durant, nearly won a second before he got to the Warriors. But winning this one against this Toronto team looks like it won't happen without Durant. Durant, of course now, it's obvious, would have made a difference in this series. They didn't need him to close out Houston. They didn't need him to sweep Portland. All right, but they do need him to contend with Toronto. You know who didn't make that much of a difference in game four? He played very well, don't get me wrong, Clay Thompson. But the Raptors still won. After game three, I suggested on the Thursday show, I guess, that if Thompson had played game three, it may not have been the difference between Toronto winning and losing. It may have been a closer game. Well, we saw Clay Thompson back for game four. And Toronto won the game going away. By the way, going away after playing a poor first half offensively. They shot 33% from the floor on Friday night in Game 4 in the first half. They were 2 for 17 from behind the arc in the first half of that game. They could not get a shot to go in. But they won the game going away on Friday night because of Kawhi Leonard. He's now on the verge of completing one of the greatest postseason postseason individual performances in NBA history. His third quarter on Friday night was spectacular. Spectacular. He came out, they're down four at half, should have been more. Came out, he knocked down two threes on the first two offensive possessions to basically say, we're winning this game tonight and we're going back to Toronto with a chance to win the NBA Finals. By the way, he doesn't say anything. He's all action. Uh, Toronto had its first lead of the night after those first two threes. It set the tone, and the rest of that third quarter on Friday night was Kawhi Leonard's quarter. 17 points on 5 of 7 from the field, 5 for 5 from the free throw line, 5 rebounds, made every right pass in every situation, had a steal, had a blocked shot. The Raptors put the first nail in Golden State's coffin in the third quarter on Friday night. It was Kawhi Leonard's quarter. He took over the series and put the Raptors on the verge of winning the title. They outscored the Warriors in the third quarter on Friday night, 37-21. to Leonard finished the game with 36 points, 12 rebounds, 4 steals. Leonard now has 14 games in this postseason of 30 points or more. He joins the following on a short list of players that have had 14 30-point games in the postseason. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Akeem Olajuwon, and Allen Iverson. That's the list that Kawhi Leonard is on. By the way, eight of his 14 30-point-plus performances have come on the road in the postseason. More than half of them have come on the road. Only Kobe Bryant has more than eight 30-point-plus performances in the postseason on the road. He's got nine. Kawhi Leonard has 684 points in this postseason so far. 
If he scores 16 or more in what's left of this series and Toronto wins the series, he'll join MJ, Elijah Wan, and Shaq as the only players in NBA history to score 700 points or more in the postseason and win the title. It's a pretty good company. Historic is the only way to describe what we have watched Kawhi Leonard do in this postseason. Back to Friday night for a moment. Um, The Warriors really, really looked worn down, tired. Part of it was Curry looking so worn down. And remember, he had to carry them in Game 3 without Klay Thompson. He went for 47 in Game 3, and they, they couldn't win that game. But on Friday night, he missed shots. He missed free throws. He looked dead tired when the game got to the second half. And in fact, the team, the Warriors were wobbling. I mean, they were a boxer having taken just pounding after pounding, round after round in games three and four, and they looked done. Now, maybe KD could change that tonight if he comes back tonight. It is set up for him to be an all-time hero. Aaron, this is the perfect setup for Kevin Durant. Oh, yeah, he couldn't ask for anything more. If he's healthy and he can come back and lead them from 3-1 down, it's all-time. And by the way, he cements his legacy. He can do that over the next week with three wins, with three great performances, coming off the injury deck, and leading his team back from the dead. Here's my question for you. I don't think this is the case, but if I tell you the Warriors can get three, get Kevin Durant can come out tonight, be healthy, and be healthy going forward. Right now, the Warriors are plus 400. What would you bet them to? I thought it was plus 450. I thought I, I, I saw it, a pl- it, plus 450 last night. I, I think it's actually come down since the the uh, announcement that he could play, that he's questionable. Uh, I don't like it. I wouldn't play it. Right. I mean, I, I look, if you get the Warriors to win three games in a row at any point during the regular season at plus 450, you're all over it. Against this opponent, and, and here's the thing about KD. I'm highly skeptical about his health. Oh, sure. And but I, I'm just saying, I'm playing the if game here. Yeah, so if I saw tonight him come out and look like KD, let's say, in the first half, and go for 17 in the first half, and they've got a four-point lead at halftime, and it looked like he was completely healthy and without rust, I would immediately then play the Warriors at plus 325 or whatever it would be at that point. Plus three fifty, maybe if they were up. If they were up ten, it might drop, you know, to plus three hundred or right. plus whatever. But I'm skeptical about his calf injury. You know, they've been floating this idea about him playing for, you know, ten plus ten days or more now. And if that calf injury was as serious as it likely was, he's not playing this summer. That's a month long plus return. But we'll see. I mean, that's it. That's their chance. They're not winning. They're not winning two times in Toronto in three straight games with the current group of players against the way Toronto and Kawhi Leonard are playing. And it's not just Kawhi Leonard; it's the whole team. By the way, the the other thing about Friday night, I had a friend text me during the game. You're really watching this? I said, Yeah. He said, This is shitty. It's a shitty game. Poorly played game. Man, I didn't feel that way at all. I thought that game was so intense from the jump. You had a desperate champion doing everything it could to survive, knowing it had to win that game. You had, by the way, blood everywhere with Van Vliet. Did you see him take that hit You know, uh, from Sean Livingston? Certainly um, non-intentional, but seven stitches. By the way, he missed the fourth quarter. I thought that was huge in the game. I thought it was going to hurt Toronto. Um, I thought the game was what you expect in the middle part of a series with one team desperate to win and the other team going for a knockout punch. I thought it was great. Was it pure, you know, flawless basketball? No, but it was the intensity. It was the defensive intensity that made the game at times sloppy. But at other times, not sloppy at all. Like Toronto in the second half. How about Serge Ibaka? Whomever it was who relentlessly attacked me on Twitter last year when I said Ibaka would be the difference for the Raptors and it gave him a chance to win against Cleveland. 
that Ibaka being on that team was going to be the difference with DeRozan, you know, that team. And I, I've just always been a Serge Ibaka fan. You can take that back now because Ibaka's been spectacular. He's been so good for the Raptors, so important to what they've been able to accomplish here in the finals. I thought Kyle Lowry, once again, was a huge factor without the numbers necessarily for the Raptors. He makes every right decision. Um, Speaking of getting it right, uh, the Warriors, remember the discussion about the box and one and Steve Kerr not knowing what to do against the box and one in game three, Aaron? And coaches agreed. I mean, they they didn't rip him for it, but they're like, you just don't see it in the NBA, and clearly they were caught off guard. Well, he did know how to handle it the other night. They went to it. Toronto did briefly. Um, and they put Sean Livingston right in the middle of that 2-2 zone uh, portion of it, and they got the ball right to the middle, and they got open shots. I don't think they made them, but they knew how to attack it. Um, By the way, overall, I know the ratings are down. I know a lot of you aren't paying as much attention to these NBA finals as I am, but I have really enjoyed this series. These playoffs, really, since the first round. First round was terrible. Once you got to the conference semis, you know, the Philadelphia-Toronto series and that seventh and deciding game and the Kawhi Leonard buzzer beater. Um, it's just been a pleasure to watch. Leonard in particular. Uh, it, it, these, these 2019 playoffs will forever be remembered for Kawhi Leonard. Not the Houston-Golden State series. Maybe Durant's injury. But Kawhi Leonard's historic run through these playoffs has been a pleasure to watch. They are just one-and-a-half-point favorites tonight. You know, they were a two-and-a-half-point favorite in Game 2, and I think it went up to three in spots. Unless Durant is legit healthy and can be Kevin Durant tonight, I just think this series is over. I just don't see any way after watching four of these matchups, Aaron, that the Warriors can win three in a row, two of them in Toronto, especially without Kevin Durant. I just don't see it. Uh, One last thing before we get to J.P. Finley. The Nats had two good wins Saturday and Sunday to split the series with the Padres. Yesterday, the Nationals became just the first team in Major League Baseball history to hit four consecutive home runs. They had Several teams have done it. They're the only team to have done it for a second time. They did it the first time in 2017. But in the eighth inning, Howie Kendrick, Trey Turner, Adam Eaton, and Anthony Rendon hit back-to-back-to-back-to-back home runs off Craig Stammen. (laughs) All right, the four homers, by the way, off Stammen, came in the span of seven pitches. Seven pitches thrown to four guys, four home runs, and the Nats won that game yesterday um, to really win, you know, to get that second win. They could have won either of the first two games, both 5-4 losses. And the Friday night Friday night loss, which I was up and watching, was painful. A one-run lead uh, in the ninth, Doolittle on the mound, and with two outs, he gave up back-to-back hits, and they lose 5-4. to four. Gave up three hits in the inning. Um, and I think two of them were to lefties in lefty-lefty matchups, and they lost that game 5-4. to four. Uh, They're seven back at this point. Um Lastly, actually, before we get to JP from over the weekend, I had a friend text me the story about Caps watch parties on Friday night, I guess it was. Friday night. Did you hear about this? I, I did not, but what they they replayed, uh, they replayed Game 5. I guess they replayed Game 5 from the Vegas series and there were watch parties for it. Yeah, that could um, be fun. That's, that's fine. Yeah. It's, but no, it's, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to knock that at all. Here's what I would knock. Several comments from people who were at these watch parties that said they were extremely nervous. <laughs> they were extremely nervous in the third period about whether or not the Caps could pull it off. That's a little much. Yeah, it's a bit much. Um, that's sort of, sorry, sort of goes hand in hand with sort of the poser thing that you had a lot of um, a year ago. Nothing as bad as this, Aaron. Saturday morning, I took my car to get washed at the car wash on Wisconsin Avenue. It's like Wisconsin and Fessenden Street, right there. And there's a coffee shop, like two blocks away. And while the car was getting getting washed, I ran down just to get coffee real quickly. And as I walked in and as as I was waiting for my coffee, there were two guys, I don't know, 40, 45 years old, early to mid-40s, sitting there drinking coffee, with a laptop open, 
watching women's World Cup soccer. Come on. Feel the excitement. Come on, Kevin. Please. That is poser city. Uh, Real quick word about Window Nation. Their summer savings event, Need New Windows. Now's the time to act. Try buy one, get one free. Buy two, get two free. Buy four, get four free. There's no limit. I know you like free. How about zero, zero, zero? That's zero down payment, zero payments, and zero interest for 12 full months. Any style, vinyl, wood, fiberglass, any color, all engineered for the specific climates we live in. Buy one, get one free, plus Window Nation will come out to your home within 24 hours, seven days a week to accommodate your busy schedule and provide you with exact pricing, not just an estimate. That's important. They're going to come out, they're going to give you a quote, it's exact pricing, it's not an estimate, and that price comes with a 30-day price protection guarantee right now. All Window Nation windows come with a true lifetime warranty, plus with over 10,000 positive online reviews, you can't get more reliable service than that. But you've got to act fast. This amazing deal won't be around for long. Call today. Buy one window, get one free. There's no limit, plus zero, zero, zero. That's zero down payment, zero payments, and zero interest for 12 months full months. Save thousands. Call today, 866-90-NATION. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell them that I sent you. All right, let's bring in J.P. Finley from NBC Sports Washington um, because J.P. got an interview with Bruce Allen last week. First of all, off of all that Trent Williams news, we're all sitting around going, is Bruce going to speak or are we going to hear Doug say something about this? And then on Friday, you had quotes from Bruce Allen. How did that come about? Got a call that Bruce would be at the mayor's office at the Wilson building down on Pennsylvania Avenue. And uh, we hustled down there and were able to grab him for just a two, three minute uh, quick burst. And Tony Wiley, you know, let me talk to him. And he, it was Bruce. He doesn't say a heck of a lot. But uh, to me, the most telling quote he said was when I was asking, how much of a priority is it to get Trent back? Because Jay Gruden made very clear, we need Trent, we love Trent. You know, Gruden tried to be completely completely accepting of why Trent might be frustrated and everything else. And Bruce, I, I thought, hit a different tone, especially when he said, um, we know how valuable he is, and that's why he has the contract that he has. That was the, the soundbite that really stood out to me. Yeah, it stood out to me too, and I mentioned it uh, earlier in the podcast, that that was the line that to me, and I wanted to ask you about tone, if it was, you know, basically Trent's got a contract, and we signed him to, we signed him to a really good contract because we really like him, but he's got a contract. And this would go hand in hand with some of the things I've heard over the last, you know, four or five days, which is while Trent may want a new deal, Bruce isn't interested in a new deal. So A... It sounds like the tone was what I thought it was, and I just want you to confirm that. And B, do you also feel that Bruce is not inclined right now to entertain a new contract for Trent Williams? Um, I, yeah, that's the tone I heard. And, and certainly, you know, what's funny is when this first started happening, before, I guess, the Rappaport, when when Trent wasn't at the first day of minicamp and Rapshi said he was holding out for a new contract, I reached out to some folks, and one text I got back was, Bruce isn't budging, yep. which I found pretty interesting. And I, I'm, It sounds like you've heard similar stuff. Um, and then once everything became this medical issue, it kind of took on a different light. I still think ultimately this is going to be a financial issue, and I think it's easy to not budge right now in, in early June. I think if this actually gets to mid-August, it wouldn't shock me at all if Trent just doesn't feel like going to Richmond and this thing doesn't resolve until they come back to Ashburn. But I, I think the team can probably come up with uh, a million bucks of guaranteed money to add this year or next year. And just to kind of – similar to what the Falcons did with Julio Jones last year. They came up with a little bit more money, but the terms of the deal didn't really change. Nothing really changed. It was basically just um, a, a little bit of cash, which – you know, can can go a long way. Well, that's interesting because I think as a fan of the team, I would be okay with a modest, 
you know, uh, change to the contract or, you know, a modest extension, but not a blockbuster one. Um, I just don't think at 31 years old with the injuries that it's it's worth it. I, I, I would prefer them to actively try to trade him if he was sincere that he didn't want to play under the current deal. And let's, let's by the way, just both for the purposes of this conversation, because it sounds like we're in agreement, say that we think this is more about a new deal than it is about how a medical situation was handled. And I'm not suggesting that he was exaggerating or making it up. It, it, it may have been part of a long list of reasons that he wants, you know, something new. But I, the, the, the money, the new deal is at the center of this. We both agree on that, right? Yeah, I think um, the medical stuff, I, I'm certainly not discounting it. I don't, I don't know that he would really vow never to play for the Redskins again. I, I think if we get to September and he's still on the roster and the, and the, he has to play to get his game check week one, I, I would expect him to be on the field. I guess before we completely you know, put, push the medical stuff to the side, I'm actually cur- Wait, curious. I don't want to push it away well, either, well, I, I think – it's important. It's a part of the story, but but I do think the money is the bigger part. Yeah. So I, I I want to do it just so we can focus on like the conversation about how this gets resolved. But one thing that I'm curious about as it relates to the medical part of this, and I don't know if you have an answer to this or not. What exactly? What specifically is? the thing that made him unhappy if something really legitimately did make him unhappy or uncomfortable about the way the tumor on his scalp was handled. Don't have that answer, Kevin. I I don't believe anybody but Trent Williams does. Um, Jay Jay Gruden talked about maybe a problem with the diagnosis or maybe the timing of the diagnosis. I, 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 I kind of have two working theories, and they're completely speculative by me. One is that Trent doesn't understand why nobody saw this growth until it became a bigger deal and required surgery. That's one. Two is that none of this was talked about until the combine. And the only reason it became a topic was Trent posted a, a Instagram story, a picture of himself going in for surgery with uh, on his scalp. And, and that's what tipped myself and other reporters off to asking Jay Gruden about it at the combine. And, and Gruden's comments were, I don't want to say dismissive, but, but not they, they didn't make the matter seem overly serious. And I wonder if, if Trent didn't think the team was, was, was putting this in the, in the medical capacity it deserved. And, you know, if I was about to get something on my head operated, I would care greatly about that issue. So those are my two theories. I, I, I truly don't know. I am not a doctor or a medical expert, but those are the two things that look easy enough for me to point at and be like, oh, well, that I could see that bothering somebody. All right, so let's get back to Trent Williams wanting a new deal. Would a modest extension, something that is far from a blockbuster headlining deal, would that satisfy him? Extension, you're talking about adding years? Adding more money to the remaining, yeah, adding, you know, a, a, a short extension with more money, more guaranteed. You know what? Let me make it easy. Adding more guaranteed money to whatever length of deal it is, whether it's the final two years or there are years added to it, but it's not a blockbuster deal. It's a deal that maybe moves him into the top five instead of being number seven. I, I don't think they would add years, and I'm not sure they should add years. I, I think you add cash, you add guaranteed cash, especially in 2020. I, I'm not suggesting the Redskins would cut Trent Williams, but they would save nearly $13 million if they gave him a June 1 designation. Before, and 20, have it before, about, before 2020, just to, to be clear about that, not 2019. Yeah, for, yeah. for 2020, they would save if – they, if they released him with a post-June 1 designation – They'd save about 13 mil and only have less than $2 million in a dead money hit. Right. That is really advantageous to the team for a player who's going to be looking at a 32-year-old season who's dealt with a number of injuries. And if I'm Trent Williams and everything I've done for the organization and played through, I, I, I think you, you add more guaranteed money in the last year of my contract, that, that could matter a lot. All right, so – 
how do you think the team's going to handle this? Back to that. I don't know. I uh, I think they come up with a little bit of cash in mid-August, assuming this stretches to mid-August. Just because they are very, very bad at the tackle spot. Losing Ty and Secchi hurts them a lot. Eric Flowers absolutely cannot play tackle for this team if they intend to win games. Um, you're looking at Jerron Christian. I actually did my post-minicamp roster projection for the 53. I'm not entirely convinced Jerron Christian won't open Richmond on the pup list. We haven't seen him work out. He hasn't been with the team at all in the spring. He's been off to the side. Right. You know, I mean, this is the guy that tore his MCL in November and wasn't that good when he was playing. So when you look at the tackle depth, I think there are tremendous concerns. So if they get to camp, he doesn't report. They are in a corner because of what the depth chart looks like. They do not have an answer, as you just described for him. Eric Flowers is not an answer for him. Ty Insecki is gone. You just mentioned the concern about Jerron Christian. And if even if he were healthy, he may not be an answer in year two. So they may be backed into a corner. I'm wondering what happens if, you know, just some additional cash in 2020 doesn't get it done. Like, where, I, I mean, let I, me go yeah. and answer that, but I think more importantly is to answer what would come before that, in his, and that is what would satisfy Trent Williams? I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't know, but I, I also think the the into a corner kind of works both ways because if the team is not interested in trading him and they're not interested in giving him any other deal, I don't think Trent Williams would go the Le'Veon Bell route and really not show up and, and forfeit a year's salary or even a game, a game check. I think, you know, the NFLPA has put notice to its players and to its agents look, there's a potential work stoppage in 2021. You guys need to be saving your money. I just, I think Trent loves football too much. I think he loves his teammates too much. And, and I think game checks are so important in this league. I don't think we get to a true, you know, standoff. I, I would guess that Trent eventually shows up. Do you think it's fair or unfair to say that the Redskins weren't prepared for this? I don't know. Because uh, Bruce and Jay made it very clear that they had talked to Trent. Um, I I talked with somebody around the organization that that him not being there for minicamp was not a surprise. I wrote a minicamp preview, which sounds just absurd. And, and I wrote in it that I didn't expect Trent Williams to be there. I thought it would be some sort of, oh, Trent's rehabbing from injury on his own. We're not worried about it. I didn't expect it to be, be this situation. But I, I don't think this came out of left field for the team. Um, I think – I don't know that they handled it very well. I, I, here's my thing. If they know that Trent hasn't vowed not to return to the team or they know that – yeah, he's frustrated with the docs, but it's not this, this this terrible situation. Just end that speculation. I mean, Bruce had the opportunity to say that to me. Jay Gruden had the opportunity to say that at the podium. Just end that speculation. Why, why let that dangle? And, and I think um, the other thing that's crazy with this, Kev, is that we – and I know that there are some medical restrictions. Like, I, I don't know what the team or doctors are allowed to say, but we've asked, and we've never gotten an explanation on exactly what happened. And so when I have to write about Trent Williams' health scare, I'm writing it, and me and everybody else, you have to be so general and and vague because we don't know the specifics. And when you start talking about words like, like tumor, that's a big deal. That's not a sprained or a strained calf muscle, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think um, I think you're a hundred percent right that they, you know, and you know, good for you to be down there and at least get Bruce Allen on the record saying something because if you hadn't been down there, he still wouldn't have spoken at this point. And I I just 
I don't know why the question, uh, uh, the the medical, they can't just say, look, this really doesn't. We're, we're we we think we've got a great training staff. We think we have great team doctors, and this, you know, if Trent's really upset about that, he shouldn't be because we feel com- comfortable with that. Um, I don't know why they can't say that if that's true, because, you know, the speculation certainly after the lock and four report was, my God, your best player is calling your medical staff out. You know, I, I would, if I felt differently as an owner or as an executive, I'd certainly want to make sure that my consumers didn't believe that my players were at risk working for our company, you know? Because of the team yeah. doctors or team trainers, but they don't seem to be anxious well, to do that because I think they believe too. It's more about the money. Well, the one thing I can point to, Kevin, is in my reporting on Colt McCoy having to have the third surgery. Right. You know, there was frustration there that teammates, fans, other players didn't know why Colt wasn't there, and and I, I I'm not equating that to the Trent Williams situation. But it wouldn't shock me if there was some frustration for Trent and, and his team. Hey, why doesn't everybody know how serious this is? Why isn't why don't teammates know? Like why why haven't other guys figured out why I'm not there for OTAs and, and, and all these other events that Trent doesn't have the best attendance record at OTAs, no. but he often shows up. But like he doesn't well, he, he doesn't usually miss everything. He usually misses most of it though. Yeah, but it certainly like you know how the Redskins.com always does, I, I think, a very intentional job of doing this. Whenever there are guys that miss the media sessions of voluntary workouts but then are there later, those guys always make it into the Instagram video or the Twitter picture or, or whatever else. And I feel like there's been times where, where we've seen you Trent mean, you after. Mean, that's pretty funny. Um, I, I, I just, you know what, I don't have the exact dates. It just seems to me like over the years, the OTAs, the first two sets, he's a no-show, and then he'll show for the last set. I mean, I could be wrong right, about which that. which is usually leading into minicamp. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it, it doesn't matter a tremendous amount. But. Um, so... Do you think that they have that they've pursued with teams that could be interested a potential trade? I don't know. I don't think so yet at this point, but they are very very active on the tackle market. If you look at yeah. their their transactions over the last 6 weeks, I mean they've been adding tackles all the time and a lot of them they're cutting a few days later but that's kind of yeah they're you know when you're when you're shopping bargain basement a lot of the stuff you return but you know they just tried to put a claim in on um what's the guy's name is it uh harrison i think um a guy the cardinals ended up signing you know they are very active on trying to get somebody i don't know that they're going to be able to and i just you're the problem with trading a guy like Trent Williams is you're never going to get dollar-for-dollar dollar value. Whether or not it's a leverage situation, it's like the, you can argue the Giants did okay trading Odell Beckham. They got a first and a former first-round pick and, a, and another pick, but no, none of that's ever going to be as good as Odell Beckham on the field. And, and I think Trent Williams on the field is, is in a similar spot. Yeah, I think, you know, I've heard people say that the Redskins, because of this news, would be at a disadvantage in trying to deal them. I don't know necessarily that that's true. It depends on what the other team desperately needs, too. And, you know, it may not be the right time now, but it certainly could be sometime in August if somebody loses a key offensive lineman, a key left tackle, um, or even potentially a key right tackle with an average left tackle that could be moved That you know with a team that, that believes it's a contender. You know, um, exactly. so the, the, the Redskins could strike gold in, in that particular situation if it comes to it. I, I still think that there's a reasonable chance, JP, agree or disagree um, with me after I state this, that he shows up for the first day of training camp and says, we're all good. Uh, reasonable chance, 
25, like one in four? I actually told Tommy, I said, I think there's still like a 10 to 20% chance that that happens. I guess sure, that's not, that's, I, I guess that's not reasonable, but that I, I think that, you know, the first day of camp for the first day of camp, it's probably a lower percentage than at some point during camp. But I think that this could get resolved without significant, you know, damage uh, either side. Both sides come out, tell each other how much they love each other. There's no significant, you know, contract uh, decision, and they move on in 2019 and he plays. Completely agree. I think I think this could all this could all be forgotten in two months. All right, last one, because I know you have to run. What I'm was, not sure it will, but I think that could happen. What was Bruce doing at the mayor's office? The, uh, the rookies presented Mayor Muriel Bowser with a signed football. Oh, okay. And do you know Malcolm Blacken? Do you know Malcolm? God, I, I, that name sounds familiar. He's he's a great, great dude. He's the Skins director of, like, player development, I think is his title. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't runs, know him. I don't know him, yeah. He, he runs all these kind of, like, how to grow up fast for NFL rookies, and a lot of it is like learn the city you're in. So I th- the Skins rookies do a – they're kind of tourists for the day where they ride around in a bus and, like, see all the monuments. And they, they try to just make them aware of, you know, life outside of Ashburn and one loud. I like, I and, like uh, that. I love that. Yeah. Well, I, and, you know, it, it's hard to be – I didn't have a lot of time with Bruce, so I didn't get to ask him about the stadium, but it's hard to not – wonder when you see Dwayne Haskins giving the mayor of D.C. a signed football, yeah. you know, at that point, they're probably a mile and a half from RFK Stadium. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I, all of that probably plays into it. But I, I love the fact that, and I didn't know that, because uh, so many times over the years I've said to Cooley, you know, about where he and most of the players live. I'm like, you guys don't actually live in Washington. I'm like, Cooley lives closer to West Virginia than he does than he does anything in the metro area. And you, you sort of miss, you know, the, the, the pulse of the city living way out in western Loudoun County. Not that it's not part of the, the metro area. I understand that. It is part of the actual marketing, you know, uh, you know, statistical area. But it just, I think sometimes the Redskins, because of their location, that players miss out on a lot of that stuff. Totally. And and in season, those guys don't have time to do no, anything. So no, exactly. I, I think it, it makes sense. Yeah. All right. uh, it, it was cool. It, it, all the rookies were there and kind of shaking hands with the mayor. It, it seemed like they were enjoying themselves. All right, JP has a podcast that, of course, you can listen to, Redskins Talk. And he also, and I just noticed this, but I think you actually mentioned it as well, JP just put together a post-minicamp 53-man Redskins roster projection. So follow JP on Twitter, at NBCS, and you can see his latest 53-man roster projection, which I'm sure will change many times between now and September 1st. Yeah, we know it's interesting, the... The defense is starting to look fairly stable. I don't see a, a tremendous amount of change coming defensively, barring injuries or them signing somebody else. I think uh, what will be interesting is that offensive line, I don't think we're anywhere close to seeing what the finished product is. I, I think there's going to be guys that are currently on other teams will finish on the Redskins roster. I'm interested in that. I'm interested in how the receiver position you know, sort of evolves between now and the opener. Um, and I'm interested to see, you know, Geis and whether or not, you know, this is a guy that's healthy enough and ready enough to be, you know, a full-time guy. I mean, or are we going to see Adrian Peterson for the first four or five games primarily? You know, that's always interesting. And, of course, there is the quarterback thing, too, that will be interesting yeah. between now and the opener. Um, uh, and I got him keeping Samaj P. Ryan right now, which I never expected. But when you watch him at minicamp, it's hard to, hard to say no. Well, we got a lot of time. Well, Jay, Jay, as he usually does with running backs in particular, mentions all of them, but he did single out Pirine as a guy that was having that had really looked sharp, and uh, you know that's he's done that every point this off season. So. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it as always. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Thanks to JP Finley for uh, joining us on the show today. Uh, the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast is presented by Wind Donation. Tell people about it. It's on iTunes. Any other platform you might be you uh, might be listening to a podcast on, we're on it. Uh, subscribe doesn't cost you anything. 
Um, it's better for us if you subscribe to it. It's also better for us if you review it and rate it if you have a chance to do that on iTunes. And don't forget to let everybody know that doesn't hasn't figured out how to listen to a podcast on their phone that we uh, can be listened to at the Kevin Sheehan Show. Dot com. Um, a couple of things uh, to get to, um, you know, o- over the weekend, this is the time of the year where, you know, every sports website comes up with, you know, they got to come up with content, you know, and NFL content in particular, like NFL.com late last week, a story about predicting every NFC team's most valuable player. And the Redskins most valuable player guess was Landon Collins. And the writer who wrote this story, who was Dan Hansis uh, for NFL.com, writes that it might be be a time of transition on offense for the Redskins. Well, it's sort of been a time of transition on offense here for over a year now. But this team has serious potential on defense, he writes. The unit imported a key playmaker when Washington signed former Giants All-Pro Landon Collins. Collins fills a huge need on Greg Minuski's defense and won't be held back by the shoulder injury that nagged him at, uh, nagged at him during his final season in the Meadowlands. It doesn't hurt that he's playing in the same division as the team he didn't think um, was worthy uh, of a pricey extension. Stars with added motivation can do wonderful things. If I had to guess right now who the Redskins' MVP of the 2019 season would be, I would look to defense first. Like... The, First of all, we don't know about Trent Williams. Trent Williams is often in the conversation here during the course of his career in Washington as a player who is one of the best players on the team and very often the most valuable player on the team. And in the last two years, when he's has, when he been banged up or hasn't played, it has been felt. By the way, that, doesn't, you know, that, does, that, that hasn't gotten past me in the last few days of this conversation about Trent Williams. I understand his value. I do. I'm just... You have to understand that my viewpoint is that 2019 and more likely than not 2020 are not Super Bowl contending seasons for the Redskins. That's my guess. Could be completely wrong, as we all are often when it comes to predicting the NFL. But I just don't see this team in 2019 and 2020 as a contender, and I think that there's lots of change to come. And right now, if he doesn't want to be here, Without a big contract extension, I wouldn't give him the contract extension, and I would try to get as much value back for him as possible. Anyway, I do understand his value, and I do understand they don't have a lot of answers without him. But when you get getting back to the MVP conversation to guess you know, right now who the Redskins' MVP of the 2019 season would be, you would guess that it's going to come from their defense. You know, a defense that really cratered the second half of the season. You know, gave up, you know, a lot of yards and a lot of points and were really at times during the second half of that season not very competitive. And remember, most of their injuries were on offense, not on defense. You know, they they had just awful, awful games against, obviously, the Giants where they were down 40 to nothing against the Eagles in the finale, against the the Cowboys the giving up big play after big play on Thanksgiving, against the Eagles in that Monday night game when Adrian Peterson basically had the only you know, blast of offense the entire night with that 90-yard touchdown run. But defensively, I thought they would be better last year. They were, and I think they've got a chance to be even better than they were last year in 2019. Now, I don't think they're going to be a top five defense statistically in 2019. You know, I think they've got a chance certainly to be in that 10 to 15 range. You know, they have a chance to move towards that top 10 this year. You still have a lot of question marks at safety. You still have some question marks at corner, but to me, there is reason to be optimistic with John Allen and Deron Payne and Matt Ioannidis and Allen entering his third year. This should be the the year where we start to see, hopefully, one of the more dominant interior defensive linemen in the game in John Allen. Again, I've said this before, I don't see him as Fletcher Cox, I don't see him as Aaron Donald, but a step below that would be awesome to have that kind of player. And the combination of he and Payne and Ioannidis and maybe the development of Tim Settle, and I know they like Caleb Brantley a lot, 
you know, you've got, you know, a really good defensive interior. You know, the inside linebacker position is still, you know, there are question marks there. Mason Foster, Sean Dion Hamilton, uh, you know, whether or not this guy Bostic is going to turn into anything. Josh Harvey Clemens. Um, you certainly have some issues at corner. You're not sold on anybody being a lockdown corner. You know, we know that Josh Norman is better zone than than man, that he can't run like he, you know, he's never been able to, to, to run. He's always had great anticipation, great smarts. They need him to have a big year. They need Quentin Dunbar to have a healthy and big year. They need to find their slot corner. Is that Moreau this year? You know, who is that? What is Jimmy Moreland's position? Is he your nickel corner? Um, the, the, you know, there, there are question marks there. I see a defense that will be improved because of age to the young players and the addition of Landon Collins and Montez Sweat. And perhaps it would have even been better had Reuben Foster stayed healthy. But if you're going to guess right now on June 10th who the Redskins 2019 MVP is, you first pull up the roster and look at their defensive players. And in order, you go John Allen, one. Probably Landon Collins, two. You know, he's got a chance to make a lot of plays this year, you know, as a a safety. I believe that we're going to see maybe not the dominance as a rookie, but the flashes of Montez Sweat in his rookie year. But that's not good enough to get you an MVP of the team. I think we're, we're, what we're going to see from Montez Sweat is what you see from a lot of rookie uh, you know, players. First of all, pass rushers can be pretty effective as young players. I think he will be effective. I think we will see flashes. I think there will be four or five games where, where you know, there is a, a wow to his performance. And then there's probably going to be, be some inconsistency. But I would guess... The list of MVPs comes from the following short list of players. On defense, John Allen and Landon Collins. I guess Ryan Kerrigan could really benefit from a Montez sweat, but I'll stick with Allen and Collins. Offensively, I guess the only person you could really say right now with any sort of level of confidence could have a very good year and an impactful year is, believe it or not, Adrian Peterson, because last year, Adrian Peterson's performance in many of the games that he played in were really were what led to some of their wins. Adrian Peterson was really good when they won games last year, but it could be Jordan Reed if he's healthy. I don't see a receiver or any other offensive lineman not named Trent Williams. Maybe it's Brandon Sheriff. I guess you could throw Brandon Sheriff into the conversation. So let's create a short list right now on June 10th of the potential Redskin 2019 MVPs. Collins and Allen on defense. Brandon Sheriff. Adrian Peterson on offense because I don't believe Jordan Reed will play enough games. I don't believe it. That's the list. Right now, the MVP of 2019, the odds are it may come from that list. If you're picking a running back, you're picking Peterson? The only reason I'm picking Peterson is because I'm not sure about Geis. And Peterson, if he's if he does what he did last year, Adrian Peterson was more impactful in their wins than maybe any other player last year. And by the way, impactful in a couple of the losses, like the loss to Tennessee late. He carried the team. But if you recall, like the opener against Arizona, the Green Bay game, he went over 100 yards, if I recall. The Dallas game, I think he went over 100 yards. Um, the Giant game was the game uh, in the Meadowlands when they got to 5-2, and two, right? It was 5-2 and two at that moment. I think he had well over 100 yards, maybe even approaching 150 yards. Um, I don't know. Adrian Peterson, to me at times, was like the guy that really put that offense on his back. And carried it. Maybe he can't do that at 34 years old. Maybe he won't be able to do that at 34. But I'm just saying, I I I would guess right now that Peterson's more impactful early in the season than Geis. That's my guess. I have no idea. Maybe Geis will be really healthy and really ready. Um, there was something else I read from over the weekend. It was on Hogs Haven. Um, it was an off-season discussion of where the Redskins rank in the division on offense, like each position group and where the Redskins 
position group ranks relative to the Cowboys, Eagles, and Giants. Again, these are all the things you got to come up with during the course of the season and uh, during the, I'm sorry, the off season. And the quarterback, um, the Hogshaven writer, had the Redskins third. Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott won two, but then the Redskins situation being better than the Giants situation. And the reason I brought this up is I also simultaneously over the weekend read a story about Daniel Jones in New York and the minicamp that he had. Again, it's minicamp. I get it. I'm not about to proclaim that Daniel Jones is going to be a star for the Giants. But all of the reporting on the Giants minicamp was a lot of it was focused on how good Daniel Jones looked, how smart he is, how ready he is, how quickly he's picking everything up, how mobile he is. Daniel Jones, if you watched him at Duke, had some wheels, man. He was an athlete. And apparently he had a big-time read option run for a touchdown at minicamp. Again, I know we're talking about minicamp. But the spring so far for Daniel Jones in New York has been according to many stories now. If you you just Google Daniel Jones, and I'll do that right now because I'll just read you the headlines. Here they are. Ready? Uh, Yep, and here they are. Giants, Daniel Jones, confident after strong spring. Giants rookie Daniel Jones, impressive in minicamp. Daniel Jones, better than Dwayne Haskins, question mark. Of course, we're going to get that. Uh, Why the Giants uh, are brimming with confidence about Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones thinking quicker as off-season program comes to an end. A lot of Daniel Jones discussion so far in minicamp. Just wanted to let everybody know, because you shouldn't necessarily be paying attention to all of this. It's minicamp and OTAs, and you know my feeling on those anyway. But when I read the Hogs Haven story, and they had the Redskins, you know, they, they write, you know, there's a pretty big gap from the top two teams to, to the bottom two teams. That would be Eagles and Cowboys, Redskins, Giants. Um, they had the Redskins <clears throat> ranked third in the division. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, they... You know, Eli Manning, I think, is going to be the starting quarterback in New York this year. I think they're going to take their time with Daniel Jones. Um, And what we could see here is that the Redskins are going to sign Case Keenum. Would you rather have Case Keenum starting the first five games of 2019 or Eli Manning? I think Eli, but it's a lot closer than some would think. Uh, It would be Eli for me. Yeah. I, I not even I, I wouldn't even have to think about it. He, look, you you need you need to protect Eli. You need to run the ball a little bit, but you got to do those things for Case Keenum too. Um, by the way, the rest of the uh, story on Hogshaven, the Redskins running backs were ranked third behind the Cowboys and Giants, of course, with Barkley and Elliott. The receivers were ranked dead dead last behind the Eagles, Cowboys, and Giants. That seems reasonable. Second tight ends. And that includes the return of Jason Witten. Remember, Jason Witten's back in Dallas. Um, but uh, the Eagles uh, with Ertz had the best tight end situation. Redskins the second best tight end situation with Reed and Davis. you got to assume, for the purposes of writing this, that you know Reed's going to play. Offensive line, assuming Trent Williams is with team, is second in the division behind the Cowboys' offensive line. I think that's reasonable. Um, and that was it overall uh, on offense. Offensively right now, if I were to just rank offenses, NFC East, it would be Eagles 1, Cowboys 2, and then Giants 3, Redskins 4. I would just take Saquon Barkley and, and say that his presence on the field elevates the Giants slightly over the Redskins as a, a slightly better offense. Not a good offense at this point but a slightly better one. Uh, the other things real quickly, um, Rafael Nadal won the French Open again, his 12th. Just, he's amazing, just incredibly amazing. Also, somebody tweeted me um, that I had the total number of men's Grand Slam titles uh, in aggregate with Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Novak Djokovic wrong. And he was right. Whoever it was that tweeted me, thank you for that. I think I said on Friday that it was 42, but it was actually 52. And after Nadal won the French Open, 
his 12th. It's now 53 major championships among Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. All right, Federer's got 20, Nadal's now got 18, Djokovic has 15. All basically playing in generally the same generally the same area era. Um, Roger Federer started in 2003 was his first major. Nadal's was 05 and Djokovic's was 08. But it is the most dominant era of men's tennis. Not even close, really. Um, even though it's not for Americans the most memorable or the most popular era. That came clearly in the 70s and the 80s when it was Connors and McEnroe and obviously Borg was playing at a high level, as was Yvonne Lendl and Boris Becker coming a little bit later on with Stefan Edberg, etc. Mats Wielander just uh, ripping off some of those names from way back uh, in the day. Um, and then you had the era of Agassi and Courier and Sampras and Chang. But none of those eras, none of them match what tennis has seen over the last, you know, over the last 16 years, basically. If you go back to, to Federer's first major championship, 53 titles among three men. Amazing. Um, and Nadal's 12 French Opens are four more than the next closest for anybody um, at any other Grand Slam, and that is Roger Federer's got eight Wimbledons, all right? Nadal's got 12 French Opens, 12 of them. Pretty incredible, his career on clay, and more likely than not, he'll win another one or two uh, at this point. How Nadal's in his early 30s now, right? Sounds right, yeah. Uh, I'm going to guess he's 31 or 32. He is 33. 33. Just turned 33. Just turned 33. So there you go. I mean, he could still win another one or two, I guess. I mean, how old's Federer right now? Federer is 35, 36? 37. 37. Wow. Uh, that, that was a sport where Bjorn Borg retired at the age of 25 or 26, whatever it was. And, you know, once you approached your late 20s, you were considered to be done there for a long period of time. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's all I have for today. Did you have anything else? Oh, the Texans fired their GM. Mm -hmm. And one of the names on the list of people that they're thinking about hiring is Martin Mayhew, who's been out of football, I believe, since losing that job in Detroit. He's always been one of those guys I wish the Redskins would consider. I think Nick Casario in, in New England is also a guy that the Texans uh, are considering as well. Um, but I would have loved to have seen like Martin Mayhew to me is a guy that when the Redskins finally do, you know, it's got to happen at some point, finally decide to go in another direction. Um, if he's, you know, he's not in the league right now, by the way, just to, to emphasize a point I've made over the last few weeks, I, I know I'm bouncing around here, but you know, if the Redskins scouting staff and if all these guys like Eric Schaefer and Kyle Smith were so brilliant and so talented and so sought after, why aren't they interviewed for any of these positions? They're not even mentioned. Todd McShay, you told me, was mentioned. Yeah. The ESPN mock drafter was mentioned for the Jets opening. And uh, how is it that Eric Schaefer hasn't gotten interviewed for a team president or GM role? Or Ky Why isn't Kyle Smith interviewing for some of these jobs? I don't know. Uh, all right. Anything else? Uh Turgeon just hired the new assistant, DeAndre did, Haynes from Michigan. Yeah, I did see that over the weekend, I thought. Um, he was on Beeline staff, right? Yeah. So uh, Turgeon's filled out his staff um, replacing uh, Kevin Brodus. Yeah. Uh, replacing uh, Kevin Brodus, who's the uh, head coach uh, at Towson, right? Towson or Morgan? One of the two. <laughs> we're lost on, on, on that. That's you know you're, We're not in season right now. Morgan. Morgan. State. Um, all right, that's it. Tommy will be here tomorrow.